We want to begin this evening with a question. What does it take to get rid of sin? What do you got to do to get rid of sin? I don't believe that many of us truly realize the desperate state that sin puts us in. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinned, it shall die. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate the fruit of the tree that they were forbidden to eat from, both sin and death entered into the world. Their rebellion created this huge dilemma. Whenever sin came into the world, it created this dilemma that what do we do with it now? How do we handle it now? And that's a question that you and I have to ask ourselves. What do I do with this sin? How do I deal with sin? It's kind of like like the radioactive nuclear material that we're producing. And we you get it, and we try to put it away somewhere, or we try to bury it, and we try to hide it or do something, but it still is there. You can't really get rid of it. They try to stockpile it somewhere. We try to put it somewhere where it won't hurt people. But it really doesn't go away. And that's kind of what sin is like. Well, many people will say, well, how do we deal with sin? Well, we need to start by recognizing that we've done wrong and acknowledging that we are sinners and we need to ask for forgiveness. That's true. But, you know, we ask for many things that we never get. Just acknowledging that you're a sinner does not remove sin. Doesn't take care of sin. Just acknowledging that you have a nuclear waste does not get rid of it. It doesn't solve the problem. Other people will say, well, feeling remorseful. I feel bad for sin. Feeling bad for sin is nice. It doesn't take it away. It doesn't remove it. But no, I feel really bad. How about if I make a promise that I'll never do it again? I've made a lot of those promises, haven't you? God, I'll never do it again, I promise. And unfortunately what happens is so many times we go back and do some of those things that we said we would never do again. Even being remorseful and crying big tears and making a promise that we'll never do it again, does still not deal with the issue of sin. It's still there. It doesn't do away with the problem. Because when sin comes, sin brings death. What if I'm really sorry, and if I cry a lot, and I tell everybody all the things that I've done wrong, it still doesn't deal with sin. Because the Bible says that once sin comes, it brings death. It's like that nuclear waste that I can say I'm sorry. I can apologize. I can cry big crocodile tears. I can make a commitment that I'll never do it again. And I can keep that commitment, but it still doesn't deal with sin. Even if I never go back to it again, it still doesn't solve this problem of what was created through rebellion. Whenever Adam and Eve disobeyed God and, and when he did, it still doesn't 
deal with that issue. Well, what does the scripture tell us? Well, if you look in your Bibles in Hebrews 9, it says this at verse 19. It says, when Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The Bible says this, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It's impossible God does not forgive sin in any other way apart from the shedding of blood. Your sins are not covered because you said, I'm sorry. Do you get that? Your sins are not taken care of because you cried. A lot of people cry. That does not solve the issue of sin. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. You see, the blood of Jesus is critically important to God's entire plan of redemption. Sin cannot be dealt with apart from the shedding of blood. Do you get that principle? Sin cannot be dealt with by simply confessing it. Sin cannot be dealt with by feeling sorry about it. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission sin. There's nothing else in all of the universe, in all of time, that can cleanse us from sin. Henry Blackby writes, blood is required because when God declares that the wages of sin is death, he meant exactly that. What is it that gives us deliverance from this death that we earn because of our sin? Only the lifeblood of his son. Apart from the shed blood of Jesus, all of us would face an eternity in hell without hope, without recourse, and forever banished from the presence of God. Leviticus 17 says this. The children of Israel were forbidden to eat the blood. They weren't allowed to drink blood or eat the blood of animals. And as he's talking about that in Leviticus, in Leviticus 17.11 It says, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It's the blood that makes atonement for one's life. From the beginning of time, God, as we go back in history and look at the scriptures, God foretold that his son's blood would be poured out for his people's salvation. Do you remember in the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed? And God judged the serpent for leading Adam and Eve astray. God spoke to him of a time when what would happen? What did God say when he judged the serpent? He said, you're going to be cursed, you're going to crawl on your belly. And he told him that he was going to do something and something was going to be done to him. Do you remember what that was? It said that he would bruise, put this enmity between between the seed, and that he would, in the future, that Satan would bruise the heel of the Son of God. 
but the Son of God would crush his head. It is as if God said, what you've done with the deceiving and the sin of Adam and Eve is going to touch my son. Getting in there with just with what Satan had done to Adam and Eve and to creation. But God brings his son into the mix, as it were. Remember there in the garden, after they sinned, what did Adam and Eve realize? That they were naked. And what were they? They were naked in another word. Ashamed. They were naked and ashamed. And God said, who told you? Because when God came to talk to them in the cool of the day, like he always did, they ran and hid for him. They'd never done that before. That never happened. When God would come, they would run to meet him. They didn't know to run from him. They didn't know to hide themselves. They were innocent. What did God do? So Adam and Eve sin, and they rebel against God. They run and hide. What does God do for Adam and Eve when they say that they're naked? He covers them up. He clothes them. He covers their nakedness, removing their shame. How does he do that? Try to hide themselves. They tried to cover themselves up. It didn't work very well. But what did God have to do to cover up their shame? He had to kill something. An animal died to cover up their shame and their nakedness. Okay? And God clothed them with that animal skin. Throughout the Old Testament, I want you to understand this. That God, and there's some really neat, I know that you know these things, but there's some really neat concepts that we're going to talk about tonight. Th- throughout the Old Testament, God began to give a foreshadowing of what was to come. God gave them all kinds of images and activities to remind them of sin's seriousness. And that blood was required for sin. The whole sacrificial system was important in preparing God's people for the ultimate sacrifice of His Son. I want you to think about this. How did the people know that sin caused death? Well, they had a visual picture of it every time they went to worship. What would they do? They would offer sacrifices. They had this graphic image in front of them all the time. There were endless bloody sacrifices daily and yearly that reminded them that sin is fatal. When you sin, it brings death. They were reminded Every time that they made a sacrifice, what were they sacrificing? They were sacrificing for their sins. Every time that they made a sacrifice, we have this image of the tabernacle being this beautiful place. If you've ever been around here, you know, you've gone to uh, down here on Route 30, the Hebrew tabernacle. We've gone in and we've seen, hopefully, if you haven't been there, I would encourage you to do that. It's along Route 30. It's a great place to go and see. They have a replica of the tabernacle. I want you to see, they would have been offering. It was more like a slaughterhouse. I don't think we get that. Do you know what I mean? I don't think we really get the picture. We think it's all neat and clean like our church. That's not how it was. They would be offering hundreds and sometimes thousands and tens of thousands of sacrifices. It was like a slaughterhouse. The priest would 
And the guys who are making the sacrifices, they're not going, the average pastor whose job it is, or the person whose job it is to offer the sacrifice to the Lord, not the one who goes into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles the blood, but the one who ministers out in the courts, when you would see him, he would be covered with blood. He wasn't in his Sunday best. He would be covered in blood because he'd been all day slitting the throat of sheep and goats and pouring out their blood upon the altar and offering up these burnt offerings. So we have this image in our mind of the tabernacle as being this, oh, this beautiful place. And I believe, if we're really honest, it would look a whole lot more like a slaughter yard. Did you get that principle? Had you ever thought about that before? When a family would come, when they'd celebrate the Passover, what would they do? They would bring a lamb. Each family had to bring a lamb and offer it as a sacrifice. Now, we're going to talk about that in a few more minutes, but you can see why this system was important because every time the people made an offering to God, it reminded them that sin causes death. That if there's no bloodshed, that their sin cannot be covered. That the soul that sinneth is surely going to die, the Scripture says. This endless sacrifice. I want you to think about this. Think of the impact this would have upon a child. Imagine as a young child who is with their father. It's Passover time. It's Passover time and they see their father and he goes out. This is a young boy. And he goes out to the, the sheep pen. And he looks around and he sees a, a number of his sheep. And he, he sees one of those lambs in there about a year old. And it's the best one. It doesn't have any spots. It's not lame. It's not deformed. It, he picks out the very best one that he has. And he ties a rope around its neck. And they go for the walk. Maybe a young boy who lives outside of Jerusalem there somewhere. And they head to go down its Passover. We're going to go to the tabernacle and we're going to worship. And they bring this lamb in. But they bring this lamb in. Can you imagine this little boy? He's watching. And he helped to lead the lamb down to, to the priest. And he sees this line of people. They're lined up. And he hears all these sheep. Bleh, bleh. He hears these sheep. And as he gets up closer... In this line, he sees his dad take the sheep and hand it to the priest. And the priest is covered in blood and he pulls the little lamb's neck back and slices its throat and holds it out as the blood drains out of it. And can you imagine the sheep? Because I'm sure that every one of them that they did didn't die instantly. And there were many of them, when they would cut their throats, they'd be like, um, breath and trying to breathe. And what does it do? It's this horrible image, and it shows them. Maybe it didn't die right away. Maybe they had to slice its neck again. Dad, why are they doing this? Because, son, sin brings death. But God has allowed us to make a sacrifice to pay for our sins, to cover our sins. Every time they came to worship, they had this graphic visual image of what sin produced. Do you see that? Every time, this is what sin brings. Sin brings death. So 
throughout history, God was visually, graphically showing His people the truth of His Word. That when the soul that sinneth is going to die. Sin brings death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Another graphic foreshadowing of this is found when the people were in bondage in Egypt. Remember the God had tried to speak to Pharaoh and Pharaoh hardened his heart and he rejected the call to let God's people go and, and God kept turning up the plagues one after another upon him. Why don't you turn when your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Start at verse 3. God speaks to Moses and it says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goat. Take care of them from the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs. And it goes on to talk about they're making a meal and they are to be prepared and ready to go, prepared to move on. Then at verse 12, we skip down to there. And God says this, On that same night... I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Do you hear what he's saying there? If you are the firstborn son in that household, or you're the firstborn goat, you are hoping that the leader of your home has applied the blood to the doorpost and to the door frames of their home. Because God says God is sending a plague of judgment and destruction upon the nation of Egypt, upon the whole land. Judgment is coming. What that would mean is if you're an Israelite, and you did not apply the blood to the doorposts and to the frames of your home, when judgment came that morning when they woke up, the firstborn would be gone. He'd be dead. I'm sure that there were Israelites who refused to apply the blood. Out of all those people, there's always someone who says, I don't need to do it. I'll do it later. And what we had there is that night, the scripture tells us that a death angel came through. And he was going to destroy the firstborn of every household. But God provided a way of deliverance for those who would obey the command and come under the blood. He provided a way of deliverance. They did not have to. They didn't have to obey. Nor did they have to. They did not have to come under the judgment that was coming if they would obey and if they would apply the blood to the door frames of their house, they would be saved. I want you to think about that. 
Can you imagine what it was like the day after? Whenever you heard the neighbors screaming? It was pandemonium. Is that crazy? Wild. You'd see moms crying and sobbing. And eventually, the firstborn, their animals, of all their animals, of all their herds, of all their livestock, they were finding them dead. They were finding their firstborn children dead. And Pharaoh's like, get them out of here. Just go. Get out of here. It did not have to be that way. God provided. He provided a way for them to escape the judgment. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. God has provided a way for mankind to escape the judgment. He was showing them hundreds of years before the importance of having the blood applied. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no removal of sins. You can be sorry, you can feel bad, you can be remorseful, all of those things. Now the Lord commanded His people that in the future, after that day, He commanded His people in the future, each year, what were they supposed to do on that date? They were supposed to celebrate the Passover. How would they celebrate or remember the Passover? Once again, what would they do? Killed the lamb. Every year, they would sacrifice. There's a whole lot more to it than that. We're being very simplistic. They were to kill a lamb and have a feast of remembrance so that they would never forget the day that God brought them out of Egyptian bondage. Every year, God did not want them to forget what He had done for them. And so every year, they would sacrifice a lamb. They would have a feast of remembrance, and they would remember. They were to do this continually as they lived in the land that God had promised them. Every time they celebrated the Passover and killed the lamb, they remembered how God had delivered them from death, and they remembered the importance of the blood. This was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And this is what people would have thought of and would have come to their mind. You know how there's certain things that come to our mind today, almost like they're culturally relevant to us today? We say, like, American Idol. You think of people singing. We think of the biggest loser. You think of people losing weight. And whenever John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming, in John chapter 1, verse 29, and it says that when John saw Jesus coming towards him, he said, look, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What would have been brought to their mind would have been this Passover Lamb that again and again he's saying, there behold, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you know what? Do you know that God doesn't do things by accident or chance? A lot of times we think that things just happen randomly. When did Jesus die? What was the season? What was the time? What had he just done with his disciples? It's not by chance that it was during one of these Passover celebrations in Jerusalem where people from all over had come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It was not just any time during the calendar year. And this is very deeply symbolic 
Because there at the Passover, Jesus Christ laid down his life for the sins of the people. But many people couldn't recognize it. But Jesus knew exactly what was happening, and it was all part of God's wonderful and glorious plan that he had been working out in his heart from the foundations of the world that he was the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world. From before time, God was working out his plan of redemption, and it required the blood. Now, let me just take you here. Turn real quick to Luke 22. His disciples didn't get it. Luke 22, verse 15. His disciples didn't get it, and Jesus had been talking to them about this. And we read over this in Luke 22 so many times. And Jesus said to them, Luke 22, verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The death of Jesus is what every previous Passover pointed to. For hundreds of years... They had been pointing to this one day. For hundreds of years, it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. And what every lamb that was slain foretold, the death of Jesus, every lamb that was sacrificed was simply foretelling about the Lamb of God. Remember, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's what every lamb that was sacrificed pointed to. But this time, God himself was going to provide a lamb. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about that when we talked about Abraham offering his son Isaac. You remember the words that Abraham said? He said, Isaac, the Lord himself will provide a lamb. The lamb that he was talking about was a whole lot bigger and something further than the ram that was caught in the brush there that day. You see, that was the immediate experience of that. But that promise that the Lord himself would provide a lamb was a much bigger picture. Do you see that? He was telling that Isaac, and somehow... Abraham knew that God himself would provide a lamb who would shed his blood and who would take away the sins of the world. He would provide a lamb, a lamb without spot or wrinkle. He was going to give his own son. His blood, when applied to their lives, would cause God to pass over them and free them from the curse that death and sin brought. Now you and I can have confidence when the blood has been applied to our lives. 
Because Jesus was that, he was that perfect fulfillment. Because God said, sin's got to be dealt with. You can't confess it away. No, pastor, if I confess it, just confession in itself doesn't deal with sin. Just being sorry doesn't deal with sin. Just saying, I'll never do it again, and not doing it again, still doesn't deal with that issue of sin, because sin brings death, and it's just a matter of time. It has to be atoned for. And God provided Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice. His blood is the only thing. His blood is the only thing that resolves this issue of sin. You being good enough, we've talked about this many times. It's when his blood is applied to the doorpost. So what does that say to us today? We realize that when his blood is applied to their lives, it would cause God, as I said before, to pass over them and free them from the curse of death that sin brings. Now we don't have to fear the curse of sin because we've been freed to serve God from a heart of love. And when God sees us and he sees that his son's blood has been applied to our lives, it allows us to live free from fear. It allows us to live with confidence. It allows us to live with assurance. I'm not going to come under his judgment because Jesus already did. But but wait a minute. No. His blood was sufficient. There's been a price paid for your sins and mine. We can have this boldness. We can have this confidence that my sin has been dealt with. Not in what I've done, but through the blood of Jesus, when the blood of Jesus has truly been applied to our lives. And that comes through by faith. As we trust that God, my confession isn't good enough. My being sorry isn't good enough. Those are all part of the work that God does, but in themselves are not enough. They can never be enough to take away the sin of mankind. But God provides a means So that you and I, once again, we can have boldness, confidence, assurance. Because the blood has been applied. I just hope that you get that. And you know what? Every time those people in Israel, when they were under the sacrificial system, every time they carried that lamb, they knew. (laughs) Sin brings death. You've got to shed blood. It was a constant reminder to them of what sin does and their need to have their sin atoned. And you know, every time we celebrate communion, it should be a constant reminder. Sometimes it's too pretty. Communion today is too pretty because all we see is juice and nicely round wafers. Jesus said, it's off to you to do this. You do this in remembrance of me. For we never eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so I hope somehow that in our hearts that we can move from communion being the cute wafers and the disposable cups that we can remember 
this incredible sacrifice that's been paid for our sins. And once we understand that, there's two things. We live without fear because we know it's been paid in full. It's more than enough. And it begs the question of us, how can I go on sinning? When I understand this incredible sacrifice that's been made for me, how can I go on in disobedience? When I understand, I mean, can you imagine a little kid going and seeing that little lamb dying the first time and being like, oh, man, make him sick on his stomach? No. Oh. But when we understand the sacrifice that Jesus made, it causes us to say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to go that way anymore. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And His blood is available to each of us. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how dark the stain is, the violence and the abuse that Jesus took and the price that He paid is more than adequate to cover any sin any habit, any evil that you and I could ever imagine. God's justice demanded it, and He required it, and He paid that to His Son Jesus. My prayer for us is that always live under His blood. Lord, I want the blood applied to my life. I don't trust in anything else. I trust in the cross. I trust in what You've done. So, Lord bless You. Lord Jesus, I just thank You for our time. Thanks for people's attention and their patience with me tonight. I just ask you, Lord, that we would have such a reverence and an awe of the blood of Jesus and know that sin had to be atoned for and you took care of it by giving your only son for in our place so that we don't have to. Lord, may you cause us to live and to walk in liberty and freedom as a result of that. We pray it in Jesus' name.